0: Howdy. Well, we're all here, and we're ready for you to listen to Come and Take It This Week. But before we start, we wanted to take a quick note to tell you that we're really happy for everybody who's ordering shirts off of our Teespring slash Texas podcast campaign.
1: Teespring.com slash Texas podcast, where you can can order your very own Sam
0: Houston podcast listener t-shirt. So we wanted to make something cool, give back to you, and that's what we're doing. Now, if you like the show, The best thing you can do for us is to tell somebody about it, help them to figure out how to install podcast software on their phone, or send them to the website and let them listen. We're just looking to spread the great word of Texas.
2: And if you like the show, go to our Patreon page, and you can help us out there too. Go to patreon.com slash texaspodcast. There's a lot of options for you to choose on how you can support our show.
0: And without further ado, here's the show. He's got a great hat. (laughs) Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkoski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. After doing as much or more than anyone else to achieve victory for the Texans during their revolution, Sam Houston shepherded the republic through its turbulent decade of independence as president and senator. He could have easily retired once Texas finally joined the United States, and his place in the history books would have been assured. But Houston was far from done, and would continue to serve his beloved Texas for many years to come. But first, what's your favorite historical Texas headgear?
1: Um, a close runner-up for me would be uh, Willie Nelson's bandana headband. But number one, I'm going to have to go with the uh, Stetson open road uh, hat, that uh, just like LBJ wore. It's a, it's a very uh, dapper <laughs> dapper thing to wear on your head.
2: Especially for a president.
0: I'm just going to say that uh, it's the humble ball cap, be it a Texas Ranger or a Houston Astro or something ironic and truckery that Matthew McConaughey is wearing.
2: <laughs> okay, well, my favorite would be an astronaut helmet. Which one? Any one that went into space and is now at the Johnson Space Center.
0: Kind of like the one that Alan Bean
2: wore. Yes, indeed. Beano! Beano.
0: Sam Houston's landslide victory in the first presidential election of the Republic of Texas was proof of how much the citizens loved and respected him. Throughout a tumultuous decade of Texas independence, that admiration always remained. Texas being Texas, Houston would deal with men who were his political opposites and a public that often disagreed with his relatively moderate and progressive views. This dichotomy would only continue as Houston moved with Texas from nationhood to statehood, and he often found himself at odds with the public that continued to elect
2: him to office. Though the final steps of getting Texas annexed into the United States would be carried out by another man, his friend Anson Jones, Houston was quick to help the new Lone Star State find its place in national politics. At the time Texas was annexed, U.S. senators were selected by state legislatures rather than being voted for by the general electorate. There's little doubt that the Texas public would have chosen Houston to represent them in the Senate. But actually, the Texas state legislature sent him to serve as a U.S. Senator, along with his old Secretary of War and second-in-command in in San Jacinto, Thomas Rusk. Houston served
1: as U.S. Senator from February 21, 1846 to March 4, 1859. This included the era of the Mexican-American War, a conflict whose outcome truly settled Texas's fate, and it left no question that it was no longer part of Mexico. The additional territory won during this war, as well as the annexation of Texas as a slave state, accelerated the national controversy over slavery. This would have a huge impact on both Houston personally and the state at large less than 20 years later. Unlike many of his fellow Texans, Houston was highly opposed to the increasing sectionalism of the country. There was an increasing divide in uh, thoughts and philosophies between the North and the South. He had worked for many years to incorporate Texas into the United States and didn't want to see it split
0: away again. Houston's stance on the issue of Southern separatism and the fate of the United States as it expanded across the North American continent was easy to see. Much like his mentor Andrew Jackson, he believed that the Union should be preserved under any circumstances. His standpoint on the subject was obvious, given his support of the Oregon Bill of 1848 and the Compromise of 1850. In fact, He was the only Southern senator to vote for every measure of the Compromise of 1850, including those that might harm Texas, and one of only two who opposed the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which sought to open up new territories to slavery, overturning the Missouri Compromise. Houston believed these measures were dangerous to the country, and they would chip away at the compromises that had been established over the years, keeping a balance between the slave and free states. Houston's position on these
1: controversial sets of legislation were opposed by many who supported slavery, including most Texans. He drifted toward the Know-Nothing Party, a vaguely defined, largely nativist political party. But if his political leanings were not a clear indication of his ideas, he outright stated his point of view, saying, Whatever is calculated to weaken or impair the strength of the Union, whether originating at the North or the South, whether arising from the incendiary violence of abolitionists or from the Coalition of Nullifiers, will never
0: meet with my unqualified approval. The Compromise of 1850 had both good and bad repercussions for Texas. The state would give up its claim to New Mexico, a territory that it had formerly threatened to go to war over, and it also surrendered its rights to some of the northernmost territory it claimed. In return, the federal government took over the state's public debt, which was still crippling largely because of the cost incurred from the Revolution. Southerners
2: opposed the measure because it would allow California to enter the Union as a free state. Houston gave a passionate, eloquent speech in support of the Compromise of 1850 that echoed sentiments from the Bible. He paraphrased Matthew 12:25, stating, A nation divided against itself cannot stand. Abraham Lincoln would also reference the same biblical passage and use similar imagery in his famous House Divided speech in 1858 when he was running for Senate.
1: Houston's clarity of vision about the future of the nation and the path it was on was shocking again and again. As we said, he was highly opposed to the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854. Houston saw the trouble in Kansas as a reflection of what would happen to the nation in general if the issue of slavery was not addressed. His predictions for the future, specifically for Texas and the South, were dire and would prove frighteningly accurate. He said, What fields of blood, what scenes of horror, what mighty cities and smoke and ruins, it is brother murdering brother. I see my beloved South go down in the unequal contest, in a sea of blood and smoking ruin. A century later, Senator John F. Kennedy would cite Houston as one of his, quote, profiles in Courage. A collection of biographies of individuals who stood for what they felt was right and suffered the consequences in criticism and unpopularity for doing so.
0: Of course, other Southerners did not share Houston's point of view. Most believed that they would handily defeat the North if it came to war. He was considered a potential candidate for president, but his unionism in opposition to the expansion of slavery alienated both his fellow Texans and Southerners in general, and simply being from the South was enough to ensure that he
2: would never get enough support from the North. Because of his controversial and outspoken views, Houston took a hit in popularity with the Kansas-Nebraska affair. He ran for governor in 1857 while still a senator, knowing he was unlikely to be reappointed to the Senate, and he lost the election to hardin Reynolds, who became the only man known to have ever defeated Sam Houston in an election. However, Runnels proved to be a poor substitute for old Sam, and largely due to the continued instability on the frontier, Houston won the next election in 1859. This made him the only person in history to be elected governor of two different states, Tennessee and Texas. As the former president of Texas, he was also the only president of a foreign nation to serve as a U.S. senator.
1: With the election of Abraham Lincoln to the presidency in 1860, the southern states began to secede. Support in Texas for secession was high. Although Houston was opposed to Texas secession, he supported the issues behind the South's desire to secede. Specifically, Houston was an unrepentant slave owner and opposed abolition. It was only the fact that he could foresee the terrible results of secession that caused him to argue against it. Over Houston's protests, a state secession convention met in January of 1861. In February, a popular vote by Texans endorsed it. Even then, Houston accepted the state's decision to leave the Union, but rejected affiliating with the Confederacy, hoping instead to be a neutral independent. Things were moving too quickly, though, and the convention voted for Texas to join the Confederate States of America a month later on March 2nd, Texas Independence Day, and Houston's 58th birthday. He remained firm in his views and refused to
0: recognize the legality of this move. The Texas legislature overrode Houston and upheld the legitimacy of the secession, Political forces supporting secession were far more powerful than even the legendary general of the Republic Army, and while he did not support it, he chose not to resist the move any further. By the same token, he did not want to step down and abandon his fellow Texans. Houston had the chance to maintain his position by force with American support. U.S. Colonel Frederick W. Lander offered 50,000 troops to Houston to prevent Texas from seceding in President Lincoln's name. Although he opposed the path the state was taking, and saw nothing but calamity in its course, Houston would not be responsible for more bloodshed in Texas. He stated his position as follows, "...I love Texas too well to bring civil strife and bloodshed upon her. To avert this calamity, I shall make no endeavor to maintain my authority as chief executive of this state,
2: except by the peaceful exercise of my functions." The political environment in the South was such that anyone not fully dedicated to the Confederacy could not maintain office. Houston was stripped from being governor only two weeks after Texas officially joined the Confederacy, after he refused to take an oath of loyalty. While the rest of the Texas government took the oath, Houston sat in his office and whittled. To explain why he refused, he wrote, Fellow citizens, in the name of your rights and liberties, which I believe have been trampled upon, I refuse to take this oath. In the name of the nationality of Texas, which has been betrayed by the convention, I refuse to take this oath. In the name of the Constitution of Texas, I refuse to take this oath. In the name of my own conscience and manhood, which this convention would degrade by dragging me before it, to pander to the malice of my enemies, I refuse to take this oath. I deny the power of this convention to speak for Texas. I protest against all the acts and doings of this convention— and I declare them null and void. Of course, Houston was
1: still famous and a well-respected public figure. Many Texans felt betrayed by his refusal to support the Confederacy and demanded an explanation. He went to Galveston after leaving the governor's mansion, and on April 19th he spoke to a crowd who had gathered from the window of the hotel where he was staying. He said, "'Let me tell you what is coming. After the sacrifice of countless millions of treasure and hundreds of thousands of lives,' You may win Southern independence if God be not against you, but I doubt it. I tell you that, while I believe with you in the doctrine of states' rights, the North is determined to preserve this Union. They are not a fiery, impulsive people as you are, for they live in colder climates. But when they begin to move in a given direction, they move with the steady momentum and perseverance of a mighty avalanche, and what I fear is they will overwhelm the South.
0: In 1862, Houston moved to Huntsville with his third wife. Margaret Moffat Lee. Houston had married young Margaret, the pretty daughter of an Alabama planter, in 1840. Houston was 47 at the time. The former president and sitting senator of the Republic of Texas met his debutante at a garden party in Mobile, where he was promoting land deals in Texas. Margaret was 21, well-educated, talented, and the general was smitten at first sight. Though the Lee family obviously opposed the marriage to the older, hard-drinking, twice-married politician. Margaret was
2: just as in love. Not long after they married, Margaret became the first lady of Texas and followed Houston through his life and politics. They had eight children together. The last, Temple Lee, was born when Houston was 68. In the 1840s, they'd settled in the small East Texas town of Huntsville. There was a certain nostalgia in the location for Sam as the hills around him reminded him of his boyhood home in Tennessee.
1: Margaret had a profound influence on her older husband and was the person who finally convinced him to give up drinking. She also had an influence on Houston's religious views. Houston was raised Presbyterian, like most Scots-Irish Tennesseans, but had little use for church. In 1833, he had been baptized as a Catholic, though how deep his faith really was is questionable. Under Mexican law at the time, being a Catholic was a requirement to own property in Cojia y Tejas. The sacrament was held in the living room of the Adolphus Stern House in Nacogdoches, so it is entirely possible that Houston took the sacrament only to qualify for land
0: ownership. Margaret began trying to convert her husband to the Baptist religion from the beginning of their marriage. It took her 14 years, but with the help of George Washington Baines, Lyndon Johnson's great-grandfather, she finally convinced him to convert. On November 19, 1854, Houston was baptized by Reverend Rufus C. Burleson by immersion in Little Rocky Creek, which is two miles southeast of Independence, Texas. This was such a remarkable event, and Houston's fame was so great that people from neighboring communities actually showed up to watch. In fact, there is a Texas historical
2: marker at the site to this day. While living in Huntsville, Houston was active in the Masonic Lodge, transferring his membership from the chapter he'd helped found in the city of Houston. Despite his dire predictions about the war, he also still showed support for the young men who joined the Confederate Army, including his son Sam Jr. He regularly reviewed troops and entertained young officers in his home. Unfortunately, he had little time to enjoy the quiet life outside of politics in Huntsville. In 1863, his health began to fail, and in mid-July, he developed pneumonia. He died on July 26, 1863, in Huntsville with Margaret at his side at the time his beloved Texas, was embroiled at the height of the Civil War, and many of his predictions about the outcome of that conflict were beginning to come true. His last words were, Texas,
1: by God. Sam Houston was buried in Huntsville, and the inscription on his tomb is as eloquent and accurate a description of this great man's life and legacy as can be imagined. It says, A brave soldier, a fearless statesman, a great orator, a pure patriot a faithful friend, a loyal citizen, a devoted husband and father, a consistent Christian, an honest man.
0: Well, that's the end of the greatest man who ever lived. In Texas. Anywhere. No great men have lived outside of Texas. I I uh, no, I.
1: But y- yeah, so that's the end of Sam Houston's life on earth, but his legacy has lived... Well, I mean... To this day. I mean, you, you can't
0: walk two feet without tripping over something that's named after him here. Right, right. It's not just his namesake, though. I think that there's the spirit of this guy. I mean, he had this clarity of vision throughout, like, really throughout his life. Like, Sam put his mind to something, and then he did it.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean it, and more often than not, way more often than not, he ended up on the right side of things. I mean, he had this vision of... Texas being independent. It happened. It was inevitable. He saw that it was inevitable. He had the vision of Texas joining the United States. It happened. He continued to serve. Um, and then when the Civil War came about, he knew ahead of time. He's like, you know, this I mean, granted, he wasn't the only one, but he was his description of events, like we said earlier, it was very clear. And it's like, this is exactly brother against brother. There's, you know, this, well, it will
0: come to no good. It makes me admit this story you know, this part of the story makes you sad because you realize here's a man who very clearly sees the writing on the wall and he can't do anything about it. And us knowing how history played out and the, the high cost of what the Civil War was, you look at it and you go, you know, well, that's really, it's just tragic when you see how it played out. And you're like, he was right. And if you just would have listened to Sam Houston. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but on the same side, I mean,
1: around those same events... You know, I believe it was in the last show I asked, you know, what didn't Sam Houston do right? Where are the flaws in this man? And we see them here, a few of them. I mean, he had his hard drinking. He had his bigamy. We talked about that last week. But also, he was an unrepentant slave owner. You know, it's like he was not opposed to slavery on moral grounds. Mm -hmm. It was more of the state's rights issues behind it that uh, kept him from...
2: Yeah, and and really, I mean, he he had the same clarity of vision that Abraham Lincoln did. Abraham Lincoln saw the same thing coming that he did. Um, it's just their where it's just their moral stance on that one issue was was totally different. But okay. as far as understanding what was going to happen, uh, Houston understood, and he he he's he saw the writing on the wall. As you said, I think the interesting thing about Houston is he is definitely. To kind of take a step back and look at his whole life, he is the a man of destiny, and a, a great example of a man of destiny. You know, he he was destined to be a star of national politics. You know, he was groomed to be Andrew Jackson's successor. But that one mis- the one mistake he made early early in life was marrying his first marriage, and it wasn't it was a it wasn't the marriage that it was supposed to be, and it failed
0: but i think you say he's a man of destiny right. but but his but his, de, but but his even, destiny
2: was not tennessee and i think that incident if you want if you want to ascribe fate you know give power to fate as as a deciding factor in things he was not fated to be the the political leader in the united states or in tennessee he was fated to go to fail and to go to texas and be reinvented but yeah well that's the saying is
0: he if i was writing a story he would be the flawed hero. Oh, yeah. You know, he would be the, the fallen, flawed hero. And it's like, you see, he's here and he falls, but then he rises from the ashes even stronger and smarter from having gone through the events. And I think it's pretty clear at the end of this that, like, anybody living in Texas, he's put on a pedestal, literally. <laughs> a, you know, a fifteen. <laughs> he's literally put on a 15-foot alabaster pedestal in Huntsville, but... We really should, because we would not have the Texas today, in any sense of the word, had he not come mm-hmm. to Texas. Mm-hmm.
2: And the other thing that's interesting is that he he really did put Texas first. Um, you know, he he loved he he wanted to be part of the United States. He loved that they became part of the United States, and he fought hard for the Union. But ultimately, he wasn't going to shed blood to keep the Union alive but he he threw out alternatives to say well texas which should stay at independent we should okay we're gonna leave but let's let's go back to the way we were and it was because he he loved texas so much and this was not i mean it was his home it was now his home and his last words uh as he died were texas texas margaret so they were they were on his thoughts this Texas was on his thoughts as much as his 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 wife and his family on the day he died or, the moment or, he died
1: or maybe as he was dying he saw heaven
2: and it looked a lot like Texas Yeah so we've talked we've spent three episodes talking about Sam Houston and he's literally and figuratively the giant of Texas history so if there's any stories that you have about Sam Houston or uh, questions or things that we didn't cover, drop us an email at contact at brainstaple.com and we'll be happy to answer it on a future episode. So wrapping up, what's your favorite portrayal
0: of Sam Houston in a film? Well, I, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet because it hasn't
1: aired, but there's the the miniseries coming up on the History Channel next mm. month. And Sam Houston is portrayed by the legendary Bill Paxton. So, um that may be my favorite. I think I, I, I haven't did. seen it yet, but I do like the guy that plays him in John Wayne's Alamo. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. oh yeah, he's yeah, character pretty, character. he's a
1: pretty cool cat in
0: that. He's got yeah. a great hat. <laughs> well, he's blowing up on social media right now with uh, his fake rant that he did. But I'm going to say it's Dennis
2: Quaid <laughs> for
0: uh Space. I didn't
1: realize no, same they, Houston. No. No.
2: The Alamo. Yeah, the Alamo oh, movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like. There's two that I really like. One is uh, Lauren Green, who was in Thirteen Days of Glory, which was the Alec Baldwin Alamo Television movie. Just Lauren Green. I mean, he he has that right gravitas. The but, OG Colonel Adama. Yeah, but Admiral Adama. There's a little scene movie that was called. It had two different names of a TV movie. One was called uh, The Raven, and the other one was called Gone to Texas. And it was Sam Houston was played by Sam Elliott and his mustache. And And his mustache. And (laughs) his mustache. And probably, so it's probably the most awesome Sam Houston, Sam Elliott, really... You right. can't get much better than Sam Elliott, Except is. he never wore a mustache. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. It's Sam Elliott and his mustache. And actually, Jim Bowie was played by uh, Michael Beck of Warriors. Oh, jeez. And Megaforce. Megaforce. <laughs> it was highly historically inaccurate, but it was a great movie just because of... You have to use so many curse words, dude. <laughs> yeah, because of, right. because
0: of Sam Elliott. Oh, man. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you. So like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. Why not follow us individually? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends, And I'm Scotticus. We'd like to thank our friend James Abendroth for helping us to research and write this episode. You can find him at blackheartbreast.com. Oh, no. You can find him on Twitter at Press, and read more of his writing work at BlackguardPress.com. You love this show, so get out there and tell your friends. And please leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us out to find new listeners just like you. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas Texas wants you anyway. anyway.